Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the uh, Carolina Weather Group here for the Wednesday, January 24, 2018 edition. Hard to believe that uh, January is almost complete um, as we're wrapping up this month. And it's been a roller coaster, and that's kind of what our topic is tonight. We're going to be talking about the uh, winter weather that has affected the southeast um, here in the uh, the past month of January 2018. We've had two uh, pretty big snowstorms in the area, one along the coast and then one in the central and western part of the state. So uh, that is our topic tonight. We're going to be recapping that with Gary Stevenson, Chief Meteorologist from Spectrum News and Raleigh. And we also have Dr. Jonathan Wall, forecaster also in the Raleigh area. Jonathan, first time guest uh, with us tonight. So uh, we look forward to uh, hearing from them as we uh, continue the show tonight. But before we do that, Let's go over a few housekeeping rules. We are a live broadcast, so if you have any questions or comments throughout the show, feel uh, free to send them our way. You can do that one of many ways. Uh, we are currently live streaming on Facebook Live and Periscope and also our YouTube channel. And if you're listening on the rebroadcast, uh, maybe uh, watching this on YouTube or listening to uh, the podcast through uh, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio or Google uh, Play or uh, your Apple iTunes uh, store, you can uh, interact with our guests towards the end of the show. We'll give them the opportunity to um, share their social media. So that is the housekeeping rules. It's kind of been a calm uh, week over, a calm weather week over the area. Not much going on. A cold front passed through over the weekend, giving us some rain and some thunderstorms. But um, let's go in depth with that. We'll start off with our regular panelists tonight. Let's start over in the uh, Texas area. Ashley Morris joining us. Uh, Ashley, how's things in Texas this evening? And uh for the past few days it's going a lot better uh, last week we had that ice storm that came through austin so i had some recovery time uh, last week from that we're looking at 60s all week uh, we've got a little bit of chance of some rain coming into the weekend but i'm not thinking that we're going to really have any issues with that so pretty much shorts weather here in south central texas I am jealous of shorts weather. I love I love the summertime and the springtime when you can wear your shorts. So thank you for that, Ashley. Let's head down to um, let's head to Charlotte, North Carolina with James Brereton. James, how's uh, how's things going in the Queen City tonight? Well, we were talking about it beforehand, uh, and you know today felt relatively cool with that uh, that breeze out there. But uh, as Gary mentioned in our pre-show banter, that uh, we're still above average fairly nice but after a day like yesterday where i had all of the windows open and the shorts and t-shirts coming out uh today was a little bit cooler but overall uh enjoying it nicely and uh hopefully the pattern will stick around a, a little bit because i think i could get used to this in january scotty yeah yes it is uh it's been fairly seasonable around here compared to the week below freezing that we experienced earlier this month so um more of a seasonally uh, weather pattern currently. So let's go down to Charleston, South Carolina. I'll bring in Jared Smith first. Jared, how's things on your side of Charleston? <laughs> well, my side of Charleston, a little bit cooler today. We uh, blowtorched a little bit yesterday ahead of the front, got to 78 before that front got through. Uh, gotta love it when the little compressional heating uh, makes your forecast bust high. Uh, so that's always uh, a pleasant surprise, unless it's August and then busting high means 105. Um, <clears throat> You know, but now back to a little bit more normal today. Got to around 63 and 57 tomorrow. Um, and it really just a nice uh, late January for Charleston. And then a little bit of rain over the weekend. And then looking a little bit cooler in the next week, but certainly not anything like the beginning of this month. Back to you, Scotty. All right. Thank you for that, Jared. Let's go on the other side of Charleston. Let's bring in Shay Gibson. Jay, uh, how's things in your neck of the woods? 
Shay, you're muted. Sorry about that. I was just, I was just, I was saying, hold on, let me unmute myself. And I, and I thought, you can't hear me saying that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're, you know, just like Jared said, we're doing great down here, uh, you know, after the beginning of this month. Wow. I mean, we had a uh, snowstorm, which we will be talking about shortly, but back to some mild temps for this time of the year, seasonably, a little bit on the seasonally cool side, but uh, it feels pretty good during the day. Then we cool down at night, keeps the mosquitoes and gnats away. Fine with me. Uh, but, but also, like Jared said, we get back into sort of a cooler spell next week. Uh, and then we get back to mild. We're really watching to see what's going to happen in the second half of February. Uh, maybe even to the second week, the second half of February. So winter's not over yet. Our spring solstice is not here until Tuesday, March the 20th at 12.15 p.m. So between now and then, don't let the polar vortex sell you out. It's still winter time, all right? We're still going to see some cool weather here. Um, as far as um, our El Nino pattern, which I think you were going to you were gonna maybe ask about that, um, you know, I'll go ahead and do a screen share on this because a lot of folks are asking, you know, what what is with the, uh, you know, the pattern in the southeast when we're supposed to be warmer and drier. And we've actually seen uh, more rain events with cooler weather. And and some of that has to do with the, the pattern of uh, the northern hemisphere in general in the, in the Arctic area. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of this a little bit later, but that's the general pattern for La Nina. And we still are in a La Nina advisory uh, and we were expected to stay in this pattern through winter. There's about a 90 to 95% chance of that. And then we'll transition out to a neutral phase as we get into the spring. That's the expectation for it. Uh, let me see if I can pull up the synopsis here. And this is the plume prediction of the La Nina pattern. So you can see a lot of these models are, are keeping it low. And then the mean version of this goes up as we get into uh, May, let's say February, May, April, and then May, April. Uh, that, that area right there. When we start to get above this minus 0.5 degrees Celsius anomaly, that's when we start transitioning out of La Nina into Enso neutral. And so we expect this to sort of go on through the, the summertime. We may even transition upwards towards El Nino as we get into later in the summer, but this is all really, really far out. And what this really means is that, um, you know, when we talk about La Nina pattern in the Southeast region, uh, what we've seen so far hasn't totally panned out to what we would have expected to see for La Nina to date, but we still have time to make those numbers uh, verify for a basic La Nina pattern overall. So we'll wait and see what the, the long-term um, sort of statistics show on, on all the, the cold weather. And we, we did have some record cool temperatures at the end of December and the beginning of January. And then we had an interesting week last week in North Carolina. I'm going to hand it back to you, Scotty. I think we're, we're good on the, on the pattern unless anybody has anything to add to that. Uh, we'll, we'll go right into our topic for tonight. I think Ashley's got Texas and we've, we covered the other areas for the region. So back to you, Scotty. All right, Shay, thank you for that. Let's uh, bring in our guests tonight. I'll bring in Jonathan first. Jonathan, first-time guest here with us with the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, so, Jonathan, as we normally do with our first-time guests, we want to uh, have you introduce yourself, kind of tell our listeners and our followers uh, who are watching tonight and who may be listening later on uh, a little bit about yourself and how you uh, first got interested in the weather. All right. So, uh, I'm Jonathan. I'm a pharmacist by trade. I uh, went to NC State undergrad um, for biological sciences and then went to Campbell and got my PharmD. Uh, um, I uh, first got interested in weather um, probably about 2008, um, started tracking a snowstorm. I really wanted to figure out what the meteorologists use to track snowstorms. And the, when they talk about models, I wanted to go find them myself. So I started forecasting in 2008, I would say actually producing forecasts. I had a blog off of uh, 
the ncsu.edu website as I was a student and I had a blog there. Um, I was just doing it for fun and then I just got really, really into it and the rest is history. I've just been constantly learning as much as I can and um, my forecasts have gotten better, better obviously, like I'm, uh, but that's basically it. And it's a hobby of mine. I enjoy it and I do it more often during the snow season some hurricane stuff, but I leave that up to the experts as far as hurricane severe weather. Um, I dab on that as well. I can read uh, soundings and stuff, but it's not my forte. I love snow, always have, and um, that's what I do. I forecast snow. And uh, we, we brought Jonathan on tonight uh, inside well, all of us here on the panel. Uh, we're part of a, a Facebook group called North Carolina Storm Chasers and Meteorologists. And it's kind of a big um, open chat dialogue room that uh, we, we bounce um, ideas off each other, frustrations and all kinds of stuff in that chat. And uh, Jonathan uh, really hit this last snowfall forecast uh really well and uh so uh, i was impressed with it and uh, so that's why i was like hey let's bring jonathan on he can talk about what uh what he saw with this last snowstorm so jonathan we'll get to that in just a second but okay. let's bring in a, a good friend of ours gary stevenson who is uh, the chief meteorologist at spectrum news in raleigh gary it's been a long time so how's uh how's things been going since we last seen you well we've had three snows so far this season we've had a, a busy hurricane season uh, looking forward to hopefully not having a big severe weather season. <laughs> we just have too many seasons right now. But uh, going, going pretty good, man. I'll tell you one thing, weather's definitely been keeping us busy over the last uh, six to nine months, no doubt about that. Hoping, I, I'm glad we're getting a little bit of a break this week, and hopefully that break's going to continue uh, past this uh, for a few more weeks. Yeah, very, very much so, Gary. It's been busy. I was uh, talking with a, a comrade of yours uh, at the Spectrum uh, News uh, Station in Charlotte, Jeff Crum. We were talking back and forth on, on Twitter today about um, how calm has been this week and how much of a relief it is uh, compared to what we've been seeing the past uh, few weeks. So let's talk about uh, this uh, this month of January. It started out, Gary, we were talking uh, before the show started, uh, you know, just how cold it, it started for much of North Carolina and uh, record territory for some areas. So let's kind of talk about um, how we started this month with the really cold spell. Uh, we got an early snowstorm in early December for part, portions of western North Carolina and central North Carolina. I don't think most uh, much of the coastal areas seen anything in December. But uh, as we got around Christmas and onward, it was just like the winter uh, Arctic air just really surged into the area and, and just had a big grip on us. Yeah, and that's it. And, and getting back to, to, to what Shay was talking about earlier about the, uh, the La Nina pattern, um, the reason he actually pulled that up is beforehand we were talking about in a typical La Nina winter in North Carolina, we get our snows early in the season, meaning January or excuse me, December into January. And theoretically, that if I'm not badly mistaken, that December snow that hit North Carolina, mainly western North Carolina, actually came in before winter actually started. Mm -hmm. I think it was actually late fall. But yeah, December 8th, I believe December 8th, 9th is uh, it was like a, a 10 days before Christmas or something. Yeah, it was something like that, um, which actually is actually kind of early for us. Um, but then, like you said, after Christmas, we get locked into this cold pattern um, that stays ridiculously long. I mean, in Raleigh, we never made it above freezing from New Year's Eve until New Year's Eve night 
until the following uh, Sunday. So we were over seven days below freezing, at or below freezing at RDU, which broke a record that had stood for like 35 years, I believe. Uh, ridiculously long. Um, and, you know, that's the thing. When you put the cold air down and you got it in place, you're just sitting there waiting for the moisture in the storm system to come in. So you got half of what you need when you've got the cold air. And then, you know, you're just kind of watching and waiting. And you guys know, because we talked about it on the group, uh, the Facebook group, you know, once we hit December or uh, around Christmas, every time when you turned around, there was some kind of winter system showing up in the long range models. The week of Christmas between Christmas and New Year's, we had like three or four that actually showed up and only one panned out. There was that one little light icing event that showed up between Christmas and New Year's for Eastern North Carolina. Not a huge impact. And then after that, we had the one that showed up after New Year's that we actually had a pretty significant snow along the coast. That's Shea Storm that uh, got Charleston and then all the way up the uh, eastern seaboard of the United States. And we got a little bit of snow in central North Carolina. And then we moderated after that. And then we ended up having the, the snowstorm that we had last week over a good part of central and western North Carolina. Uh, and, and and actually actually all of North Carolina, with the exception of Fayetteville, <laughs> got snow <laughs> out of the storm system last week. But, you know, that's just it. It's, it's like Shay said, when, when you look at it short term, this isn't the typical La Nina winter for North Carolina. We've been, we've been seeing colder air. We definitely haven't been running above average. And we've had a very active storm pattern coming in. Now, is that going to play out the rest of the winter? Well, it's just kind of a wait-and-see situation right now. But, you know, it's like you, you, you said, when you lay that cold air down and it stays that long, it's just going to be a matter of time before some system comes in and gives you some wintry precipitation. Yeah, and, and say it and, and – um, Jared there, you know, we we were talking about earlier the snowstorm that um, hit your area, and we, we did a brief recap of that, but uh, you two guys live in the Charleston area. Just talk to us, I mean, as we're reviewing this month, talk to us about how, you know, just abnormal that snowfall was in your area. I mean, that's something, Jared, I think uh, you said in our snow special that we did that, that it hasn't been accomplished since, what, 1988, I think, is the last time you had that big of a snowstorm in the area? 89. 89. The year of uh, Hurricane Hugo and more importantly, Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> got a six inches. Uh, we got the, the snowiest day on record ever. Um, the snowiest storm in Charleston on record ever, ever was that 1989 storm. Shay's got the map up here. We got about we have 5.3 inches at the airport just at that one day um, on January 3rd. That is the third snowiest uh, day on record in Charleston. You know, Y'all didn't get out of the, you know, y'all didn't get above freezing uh, for seven days in Raleigh. We didn't get a, and 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 that's even worse. We didn't get above forty for seven days, partially because of the snowpack. But the previous record for that had been maybe three or four days, and we we blew past that. We just completely obliterated that. So, I mean, you see some isolated six inch, six inch totals there where the sleet didn't mix in, but we still had the heavy precipitation kick in. I mean, this was really something, and this is a. Uh, you know, the last recent accumulating snow on any grassy surfaces was uh, Valentine's Day 2010. Um, I'll never forget it. It was my first Valentine's Day with my wife, and uh, she was driving up, and she, um, not knowing what she was about to get into, she agreed to stop and get out back. Uh, and she still, to that day, to this day, has never let it, let me <laughs> live it down because the roads were a mess. Um, but the roads were fine, comparatively. 
Um, and so, I mean, this was just, nobody here has seen this unless you were here in 89. This was like a, a lot of people who were following that storm that day, uh, who lived in Charleston might not have even been born. Yeah, very true, Jerry. Make everybody feel super ancient. <laughs> very true. I mean, it, it was uh, the unique, I thought one of the more unique factors for this storm was was the cold weather setup for it. Because normally in Charleston, we have, uh, you know, we, we have a typically a warm climate here. And then you get these systems that come through and they blow through in a couple of days and then you warm back up and it thaws and you, it's just more of a wet snow. And, and you don't really get anything that sticks for very long here. But the, the cold setup leading up to this, and, and I, you know, after a week of it before Christmas, it started during Christmas. I said, man, you know, people are starting to ask questions. And all I had to say was, it's just a matter of time. You get moisture involved. It's going to it's going to happen. And uh, and it did. And it, and, it, and it really was a unique situation because it wasn't your your typical what we would call a Miller A setup where you have a low come from the Gulf and transfer out into the Atlantic. It came straight up from the Bahamas, almost like a like a sort of hybrid subtropical system or some something, you know, it was really, really unique how it came up from the Bahamas. It all came together uh, from a short wave that drew across uh, towards the Gulf States. But the thing is, is once it lifted into the coastline, you know, the original thoughts were, you know, one to three inches. And then, then you start seeing the models. Now, the Weather Service was very, very hesitant to go with anything the NAM 3 was coming out with or the higher resolution models when we got within that range. But uh, they were really watching the Euro and the GFS for agreement, which is a good thing to do uh, because then you're going to get some some pretty good guidance there. But the, as we started to draw closer, you realize, oh, man, this could be this could be a lot worse than we thought. And so then you have the icing factor. But with with the sea surface temperatures drop down below 50 and into the 40s at that time, uh, your warm nose factor starts to sort of diminish a little bit. And then it depends on how close that low is. There's so many factors going into it. The bottom line is that I thought one of the more unique things about this type of snow we got was how dry and powdery it was. We don't get this kind of powder like you would out west here along the coast. And it really, you couldn't build a snowman with it. You know, it was that type of snow. It was really, really dry stuff. Even into the next day, it stayed pretty dry. So um, it was, you know, it, it was definitely something to remember. And, and just the, the way that it stuck around for days, and the high albedo that we had with the snowpack reflecting the sun's light back off the surface wouldn't allow the land to 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 warm up. So all you had to all we were waiting on was for sublimation to occur to get rid of some of the snow off the streets. But then we were faced with the same problem every night, dropping into the low to mid twenties with icing. Uh, so it was just it was around for days and days. And Weather Service did a good job. Uh, Blair Holloway, actually the one who made this map here, he he actually put the words out there. Remember him saying it: this stuff could be around for several days. So be aware of this being a problem on the roadway. So um, good job to them. I think they did a fantastic job on the mm -hmm. forecast all the way around. They raised the numbers up when it was time and everyone was already ready. We're not, we're not rigged for it here. So even an inch of snow is, is, is caused to shut down a lot of things here. So I think it went pretty well, except for the, the lots of folks that were driving around during the ice that morning, you know, but uh, it was uh, it, it, it changeover was really fast. And uh, I think that, I think the high resolution models really did a good job on this one this time. Mm -hmm. Shay, that's that's a good point. I want to kind of step back here for just a second because I've seen a few questions come in, and uh, we joke about it all the time in our in our weather group um, on the Facebook page and our weather chat here. Uh, but we call them fantasy storms. But a lot of uh, some of your um, some of your social media rologists uh, like to share those to get uh, to get shares and likes on their pages. But 
Uh, let, let's kind of step back and talk about the model process. Gary, I'll bring you in, and then I also want to bring Jonathan in since, um, you know, he's also really been studying the models. Uh, when when we're looking at forecasts in a winter storm, Gary, let's 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 say ten days out, and then we'll kind of narrow it into to the day before. What are we looking at weather models? I mean, you know, we may see um, the GFS say, "Hey, in hour three hundred eighty four, there could be a massive winter storm," and then when we get to that point, it's sunny. So let's kind of talk about uh, maybe talk with our followers how we narrow that process down of watching these weather models kind of. Uh, uh, evolve as we get closer to when, when a storm happens? Sure. I mean, you know, there, there are two main long-range models that we look at. It's the, the Euro model and the American GFS. Um, and like you said, when we've got something seven to ten days out, we'll watch it, but we're not overly concerned. Now, if we have both models agreeing in close to the same time frame, seven to ten, 10 days out that something might happen. Well, that'll pique our interest a little bit more because we do have agreement. we got two models coming in from two different sources and they're saying the same thing. So they may be locked on to something. But once we start getting within that five-day time frame, that's when we really start paying attention. That's when we really start thinking, you know, what are these models thinking? But um, the, the last storm that we had last week, uh, the Euro model grabbed on to it about, about a week in advance. Um, which was pretty amazing. Now the GFS, I, so, okay, I, th I think the Euro grabbed onto it the week before. So that would have been Wednesday before um, the storm actually hit. Well, the GFS had nothing on it. And then on Friday, I remember the GFS grabbing onto something happening in the Wednesday timeframe. And I'm going, well, maybe we're onto something here. And then all of a sudden Saturday, the GFS model backed off, but the Euro was staying consistently uh, saying that we were going to have some kind of winter system in North Carolina in the middle of last week. So that's, that's the other thing that we're looking for. If we're not getting model agreement, are we getting model consistency? Is that same model saying over and over again that we're going to have some kind of event happening in a specific time? And then certainly once we start getting within that three to five day time frame, if those models are really agreeing, and we actually did have pretty decent model agreement with last week's storm. Um, the problem is they said it was going to snow. A lot of the models, though, though did ha didn't have a clue on how much it was going to snow. And that was what was really tricky right there. So as we get closer to a possible event and we start seeing more model agreement and more consistency in model-to-model -model run. That gives us a lot more confidence in meteorology as meteorologists to get on and say, okay, folks, we got something coming down the pike. Now, the problem that we face is like, I referred to back before Christmas, because I, I, I couldn't enjoy Christmas because I was off and I kept seeing one snowstorm after Christmas, then one snowstorm right before New Year's, and then another snowstorm possibly right after New Year's. Now, like um, Scotty called it, uh, those that didn't show up, we call fantasy storms. And three out of four of those were fantasy storms. So about 25% of the time with that week, we ended up having an active storm system. 75% of those storms didn't, didn't take shape. And that's what we face this time of the year because just like in tropical season, about 10 days out, every time you turn around, one of these long-range models will show some kind of winter weather system or a <laughs> tropical system or something like that, but then they go away after that. So it's, it's when we get closer, when we see model agreement, 
that's when we start really zeroing in on the possibility of a winter event. But it's also like Shay was saying earlier, you got the cold air in place. And if you've got it for a long period of time, guess what? Sooner or later, there's a possibility you're going to get some wintry precipitation because some pre precipitation is going to get up into it. That's why we're all kind of keeping an eye on uh, uh, February right now, because we're going to turn cold again going into February. And we could see an extended period of cold weather. So we got half of what we need. The question is, down the road in February, will we see that precipitation roll in? And Jonathan, I want to bring you in with this. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, you're more of an amateur and you're looking at this, but I think you're responsible and by, by seeing your post. Um, how do you look at these models and how does that help you kind of guide your forecast of what you, uh, what you produce? Uh, I, I would say I, was, I agree with Gary. Um, I uh, trust the Euro more than anything, basically as far as the long range goes. Um, with the last storm, the GFS tends to be progressive with um, at 500 MB with uh, the trough dipping down. Um, it was more progressive than any other the models, meaning it was more positive tilt. Um, and with this last storm, we weren't really dealing with um, any kind of like short wave coming out from the south, tapping the gulf and riding up. We weren't dealing with any kind of phasing, really. Um, so this forecast to me was easier than most, given that we were only dealing with um, just a main trough kind of moisture right in the front um, and developing a low way off the coast. But um, I'd say the most important thing um, that I was paying attention to for this last storm was uh, the cutoff of the low at 500 MB, uh, turning into a kind of like an upper level low feature. Um, the GFS never had it, never demonstrated it up until probably within 24 hours of the system. Um, the Euro, started to show it and then other modeling um, caught on like even like the Canadian, the orange gem, um, close to range Canadian started to show up. So, um, and of course HRRR had it um, and other models started to catch on to this cutoff feature. And with that, you're looking at a more explosive system. Um, but probably the most important thing that this happened with the last one too, is uh, paying attention to QPS output or uh, just a quantitative um, precipitation forecast, meaning just, you know, the liquid that the models are showing. So um, they tended to trend up the closer you got to the um, to verification. So for instance, the GFS 48 hours straight was showing a trace of liquid to maybe 0.1 QPS. Um, but the Euro, these same model runs were showing um, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, back and forth. Um, so I was, I was believing the Euro more than the GFS as far as how much moisture is going to show up. Um, and then, you know, with the January 3rd storm, the same thing happened. Um, there was little QPF over the coast. And then as you got closer, it started inching, inching. And I look at ensembles probably more than operationals. I mean, I load ensembles first almost, and then go, well, let's see what the operational shows because there's some interesting modeling sites um, that have very good products that allow you to look at um, ensembles fairly quickly. Um, 
and you can tell, you know, is this is it trending towards more QF, QPF or backing off? So um, basically, I think eventually the ensembles have had 0.5.6 QPF um, on the means in the middle of central North Carolina around Wake County. And then once you got closer, it was even getting higher than that. And no one really likes to trust the um, 3KM NAM because they think there's a moisture bias. It's too wet. They don't believe it. But um, I do look at that and I do consider it. So, um, and then also, if I'm talking too much, stop me. But uh, um, as the storm was occurring, probably around 48 hours and then 24 hours, you can see it's overperforming uh, this past system. Um, I think an area in Western Kentucky, uh, the forecast was one to two inches and they got 11 inches. So paying attention to what's happening upstream with this feature diving down um, can tell you a lot. And really, since we're not de dealing with mixing other than like a rain or snow line, Fayetteville really had some issues obviously with some rain. Um, other than that, most areas started as snow once it got to the Raleigh area. And um, it was, I based my forecast largely on uh, increase ratios. So climate ratio for the Raleigh area is 9.1 or 9.6 to one. So 9.6 inches of snow to one inch of liquid. Um, I was, using probably a storm cumulative ratio of 14 to one for the RDU area for my forecast. I got that for looking at tons of uh, bucket data, adjusting the ratio myself using Cobb 2011, um, many things, but usually I just, I knew there was gonna be increased ratios. I knew there was gonna be the cutoff feature once all models started finding it and eventually the GFS did. Um, it's just a matter of where it was going to cut off. Tennessee, West Virginia, the apps, Northern Virginia, that all matter to where that, that, that QPF was going to show. Was it going to be in central North Carolina or, uh, or central uh, Virginia? Um, but once it started nailing down Wake County, I felt like we were in a good area to get six to 10. Now, Jonathan, I got a question for you as far as you, you, you like to use ensembles, which are great. I want to, I want to kind of get, explain to, the viewers, what we're looking at, like we, we talk about models, right? There's lots of different models. You mentioned some of them, the NAVGEM, the Canadian, even the CMC, the GFS, the Euro, the NAM, you name it, her. Um, but when we talk about ensembles, now give us an idea, maybe Gary, you can chime in on this as well. Tell our viewers what ensembles are and how much more helpful they can be than the typical operational models that we use. Okay, um, so ensembles, um, there's an operational run that's run, say the GFS, well, let's use the Euro for simplicity. It's run twice a day um, at 0Z and 12Z. And then there's an ensemble suite um, that's run with uh, 50 to 51 members if you count the control run. Um, the control run is ran at um, uh, lower resolution to kind of get rid of all the um, noise. And then it's also changed a little pieces of the atmosphere in the modeling is changed at the initiation of the model run to account for uncertainty in what the operational shows. 
and then they do that 50 times over. So you have 50 different, you can say different operational runs, then they average them all together and spit out one value. So there could be some of those 50 on the low end or on the high end. And you can view it in snow, you can view it in uh, precipitation, you can view it in temperature. Um, but really the ensemble helps you understand what the average, um, what the average uh, forecast is for whatever variable you're looking at. So uh, snow, you might have an ensemble mean of two inches, but there's some members that have three or four or five inches, but some have nothing. Um, and then it's also, I like to look at um, what percentage have a different amount. So you can determine if one member is an outlier or not. So say there's one eight or 10 inch member and the rest are two or three inch members, then you know um, that eight inch member is skewing the ensemble mean um, high. So it's not really, say the ensemble means like four inches, you really are expecting about 2.5 inches there uh, for that run. So basically ensembles just let you know what's real because sometimes operational forecasts will throw out a straight blizzard in Raleigh, North Carolina dumping a foot of snow. And then you'll look at the means and you'll know uh, that's not going to happen. That's right. That's right. And, and also, and just to reiterate that, th these are things that we look at every six hours or, or even less in some cases. We're going through all these ensembles and all these operational models all over again. So when you're, when you're looking on the internet and looking at Facebook and you see one picture of a model run that, that's blasting your area with winter weather, you got to understand how many other thousands of pieces that are being looked at out there for, for verification of that. So, uh, Gary, what, what about you? What do you think about it? Well, you know, and, and, and I pointed this out, too, on the group about the, the, the models before the storm hit, um, because as Jonathan touched on, this was kind of an unusual event for, for North Carolina to get the kind of snow that we got out of it. I was really afraid that the models were not going to handle it well because we call these statistical models, and the models are actually looking back at past weather events to look forward to make a forecast. Um, and if you don't have that many events of a certain type to look at, then that can skew the model in a, in a bad direction and not give you good information. Um, Dr. Brotak from my forecasting days at, uh, at UNC Asheville, I always keep that in the back of my mind, that the models do not handle record uh, setting events or unusual weather events. And that's the one thing that I was kind of wondering, uh, were the models going to be able to handle this situation? Uh, as Jonathan pointed out, some did fairly well, uh, others did not. Um, it, it just, it, that, that was the main thing that worried me. If I, if you would have told me the night before that Fayetteville wasn't going to get at least an inch of snow, I would have laughed at you. And sure enough, they only got half inch of snow, I think, in Fayetteville because I had a, enough people on Facebook complaining to me about <laughs> that. Um, you know, a foot of snow um, across Durham County and Orange County, yeah, I would have believed it. But the problem is, as being on TV, me jumping up there and going, we're going to have a foot of snow, you know, that could be very detrimental to my career. <laughs> so, so that's why we went four to eight plus inches of snow and let a little plus sign do its, its thing. But uh, like I said, going into that event the night before, I was really kind of worried that the models were not going to handle it well and that we were going to wake up on Wednesday morning and, you know, something that we did not expect to happen was going to happen. And we did, you know, we had that one 
sharp area of eight to 12 inches of snow. And then it quickly dropped off once we got down to the sand hills to next to no snow. And then, and then another thing, which uh, Shay, you were talking about the, the Charleston event early in, in January. I, I got to worrying about the Outer Banks because we actually cover the Outer Banks weather-wise. You know, when I started seeing convection on Wednesday nights off the coast, I'm sitting there going, I wonder if the Outer Banks are going to get buried by this thing instead of that two to four inch snow that was actually in the forecast. And sure enough, Kill Devil Hills, nine inches of snow by the next morning. Yeah, they even had thunder snow out there. I think they got some of that, uh, maybe some of that Chesapeake Bay effect as well, that wraparound. And they had, they, they got, yeah, they got uh, a couple different angles of, of cold wedging up in that area to, to really dump on them. So pretty neat. Very, that's, what's, that's what's always so tricky about uh, these snow events in the Southeast region is we're at least side of the Appalachian Mountains. And we have the Gulf Stream just offshore, 60 miles off South Carolina, maybe 20 miles off North Carolina at, at the most until you get up towards Outer Banks and it's right there. Uh, so then you have warm surface mixing into cool air coming down slope and you have this wedge factor. So, I mean, that's what's, that's the tricky thing about it is how, how much precipitation are you going to get from the system? Number one. And then what, how much of that is going to fall in the form of frozen precipitation? That's the, that's the big trick. That's why it's always so hard to, to do forecasts for these storms, storms in the Southeast. Well, and you know, that, that brings up a good point too, because both actually all three systems that we've seen this winter weather season, the December storm, the early January storm, and this storm, I think it underscores how highly variable uh, a forecast with a winter system is going to be. Um, one area may get a foot of snow, 50 miles down the road, you get nothing. And I, I think that's one thing that we need to point out to the public. And we, and we try to get it out, but I think people focus too much on numbers. How much snow am I going to get? You know, I, I saw uh, uh, Nate Johnson post this, and I think Brad Panovich posted it too. You know, bottom line in an event like that, we're going to get snow. Whether it's an inch of snow or a foot of snow, you're going to have problems. So if you kind of look at it like that, then you're prepared basically for whatever happens. And as highly variable as winter weather forecasting is in the Carolinas, and we've definitely seen that over the last month and a half, I think that's a, that's a good thing to remember at, at all times. And, and it's something that we've talked about. Um, models are just guidance for us. It's not the gospel. It just doesn't tell us, you know, hey, it's definitely going to snow eight inches here or there. So uh, you have to take model just as guidance and, and go from there. Like Gary said, you know, got to look at the setup and all that. Uh, Gary, one thing that I want to pose to you, because I think it's the first time I can remember in, in the past several years that Raleigh really didn't have any mixed precip issues. This was snow or rain. You know, you didn't really have to worry about the, the sleet or, or the freezing rain. And that also, I know for you guys, has definitely been a, a big issue with, with winter storms the past couple of years. So this was kind of the first time that you guys actually had a, a snow or rain of it. You know, there was no in between. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we had the cold air in place and most of the time, most of the time we end up starting out with some kind of rain sleet situation, transitioning over to snow. And I'm not even sure at RDU, we started with rain with this one. I think we just flat out started with snow um, um, and, and stayed snow to the end of the storm. We never transitioned to sleet. We never went to freezing rain. We never went to anything. I think from the first time the precipitation hit the ground at RDU, it was snow when it began and it ended this snow. And that is extremely unusual because that's one of the things that I always hear about the DOT brining. You know, climatologically, most of the time we start with rain 
and then transition over to wintry precipitation over much of central North Carolina. Uh, and people complain about it washing the brine away, but most of the time it just dilutes it a little bit. And it's still pretty effective. But uh, you're right, very unusual uh, event. But then again, we, we've had an unusually cold pattern that we've been in to, to help support that uh, uh, this winter. As a matter of fact, actually, Shay, hey, Shay, let me ask you a quick question. Did you guys, with the with the early January event, did you guys start as snow or did you have a transition period? No, we started out as rain and it transitioned yep. freezing rain and then right to sleet and then right to snow. So, I mean, uh, we, we sort of knew that was going to happen just because of, of the low coming up from the south and wrapping some of that warm surface air into the coastline. We knew that warm nose was going to be a factor off the get-go just because of its straight south to north transition. Um, when you have a little bit more of a of an angular transition across the Gulf and it, and it transfers across Florida out into the Atlantic, then, then it gets trickier, but this one was a little easier to read. We knew that that nose was going to slide in uh, and then, and then transition out pretty quickly by the time we got to about midday and everything went right on point. There was one little wedge that Jared, Jared was really keeping a good eye on that with a whips. And um, we were, we were thinking when we did see a little bit of transition back to sleep for a little bit, when we got some of the heavier banding, uh, there was a little bit of a nose feature that came in with a, just a tad bit of sleet for a little bit, and then it all transitioned to snow period for the rest of the day. Um, and that was all once the wind switched around from the straight north to northwest. So that's typically for Charleston when we're going to get nothing but snow is when we get that freezing column downslope all the way to the coast and we get that wraparound flow. We're, go, we're go, good to go for the snow at that point. But anytime you have a north or even northeast wind, uh, north, northeast to northeast, that any any angle or element of east in that, you know, you're going to have some warm nose issues from the surface air wedging in there. I want to bring Ashley in right quick because Ashley works in emergency management. And Ashley, we're talking about weather models and and watching them from ten days to seven days to five days, and then to the event. I mean, how do you guys in the emergency management world? I know you have a meteorology background as well, so uh, you, you kind of do both. But how is that for you guys in emergency ma management, uh, getting prepared when you may see something down the road? It, it, I, I assume that it kind of helps you out a little bit. Yeah, it's a really big challenge, especially just explaining how models work, um, explaining the potency of models and even the time and the accuracy, especially when you're far out. So that's something I always approach my director and my other fellow partners with is explaining to them, you know, if we're five days out, you know, we can start to hone in on what might happen, but there's still a lot of uncertainty. I have a three day rule to where about three days out is when I start really, really taking things seriously um, from that perspective. Um, but there's a lot of pressure in making decisions. And that's something that we really had to deal with last week. Um, when I did the forecasting for our ice storm, all the models seriously lined up very well, probably the best I've ever seen them. And, um, you know, the forecast verified uh, about 30 miles south of us, which in meteorology terms is absolutely great. But when you're trying to make decisions, like we closed the schools in our county, we closed the county, we had all of our supplies out on the roads, the brining, things like that. Um, that is just very frustrating in the fact that, you know, we got the forecast right, but it's hard to explain that to my county because, you know, it was only 10 miles south. So I don't know if that kind of answers your question, but um, explaining how modeling works is probably one of the hardest things for me in emergency management. And then trying to do impact forecasting and get it right on such a small area is a huge challenge, especially no. when you have to make those decisions. 
Exactly. We had that scenario back on January 8th and 9th uh, where we were just dealing with some little, a little bit of freezing rain, you know, up to a tenth of an inch. Well, you know, we shut schools down, you know, everything was shut down because uh, that was the anticipation. Well, the timing was off by about five, six hours. And so the freezing rain didn't start till mid afternoon instead of early or mid morning. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's hard with these modeling because it's guidance, but it's not the gospel. You know, you have to, like Jonathan said, you have to watch what's going on upstream and that kind of can kind of help hone in on, on what exactly is going to happen. So I know we're getting, we're past the nine o'clock hours. So um, we'll, we'll start to wrap up this conversation because I know Gary's got to get back to work, but uh, Jonathan, uh, I think you have said you have your forecast and your snow ratio map. Uh, if, if you want to screen share that and kind of talk to us about uh, what ultimately your forecast was. Okay, let's see if I can do this here. Uh, okay, can you guys see this? Yes. All right, so um, this, I had the fortunate um, opportunity to stay up till the 0.16 a.m., so that's why it says 3 a.m. there. But um, this was my, the forecast I released, um, the 6 to 10, um, goes down through Randolph and more, and then there's a sharp cutoff. I noticed even if this was perfect for snow for Wake, I still was like, there's no way East Wake's going to get 6 to 10. I just knew it. Um, so the 5 to 6 is there. And then it, and, and I saw that NAM run where um, there was a 7-inch snowfall off the coast here, um, off the Outer Banks. And Needless to say, I didn't believe it, but I figured they would get some. So it was generous and gave them a trace to three there as well. Um, but there was my forecast. And um, this is kind of preliminary. I'm working on a, a ratio map. Ratios are kind of hard to pinpoint um, due to inaccurate measurements in both QPF and um, snowfall measurements with people um, measuring drifts. So you kind of have to, a lot of analysis goes into it. And, it's probably wrong to start with because it's just so hard to do something like this. But here are the ratios um, for Central North Carolina that I'm pretty confident about. Um, the highest ones, as you can see, Harnett County. Oh my God, look at that. Two, two to one here. Uh, they stayed in rain most of the time um, and then switched over snow for a little bit on storm in. But Majority of Wake, I mean, a lot of 10 to 1, a lot of close to Climo, um, RDU 14 to 1, um, but Chatham, I mean, 15 to 16 to 1 ratios, um, Person County 16 to 1, Granville 15 to 1, 13 to 1, so, um, and then Franklin 20 to 1. 22 is about as high as I can, I can believe with this system. That might be a little too high. I might have to look into that. Um, it was incredible snowfall ratios. Usually we do get Climo 9.6 to um, 1 ratios, and then we have to deal with sleet and everything like that um, and a warm nose and waiting hours for rain to change over snow is never fun. So, um, so this storm was very unique, and it was uh, fun to, to forecast. So just want to share that with you guys. And, and Gary... Scott, excuse me a second. Hey, I will tell you this, Jonathan. Remember the January snow we had about 10 years ago that shut down Raleigh? Oh, yeah. Okay. The If I'm not badly mistaken, the rain-snowfall uh, ratio for that was 24 to 1. 
So okay. that might kind of give you an idea about the Franklin, uh, the Franklin County, uh, that they're probably maybe a little high. But uh, yeah. hey, let me tell you something, dude, in, in, in the midst of the group in the audience, I'm impressed, man. That map, you're pretty much dead on. You screwed up on the Outer Banks, man. But <laughs> the rest of the state, you did a great job. I'm impressed. Congratulations. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh-huh. And, and Gary, I wanted to uh, see in that snowfall map, you know, as social media, we can share things, but with you, you have a bigger coverage area. And like you said, a reputation on the line. So how hard is it? You know, a lot of people, you said a lot of, uh, I don't want to say hate mail, but a lot of folks were frustrated in the, uh, the uh, Fayetteville area. So how hard is it for you to, to put out a forecast knowing that, Hey, we may see a little bit more, but I need to be more of a, a conservative route. And that way I can kind of cover my area a little bit better. Is that, that question make sense to you? Yeah. I, I mean, here, here's the thing. It was, it was going in both directions. I mean, I, we had people in Orange County and Durham County complaining because they had a foot of snow and we were only forecasting eight plus inches of snow. They didn't see the plus. And then we had, I, mean, I had people weighing in on me in Fayetteville. Where's the snow? You said it was going to snow. I need a weather rock. Um, and uh, well, and, and then we had complaints uh, because there wasn't an inch of snow on the ground uh, seven o'clock on uh, uh, Wednesday morning because, you know, that line just was a little slower to get into the central North Carolina than had been forecast. And it, it amazes me that the, the thing that I hear most is it must be nice getting paid for getting it wrong all the time. But by golly, when there's a winter storm, everybody expects you to know how much snow is going to fall at their house and exactly what time it's going to start and what time it's going to end. And it, like I said earlier, I, it's, it's really difficult. And even though we convey as professional meteorologists and even as amateur meteorologists, we convey the uncertainties that we're dealing with when it comes to weather systems and especially winter weather systems. People kind of miss that point. That part kind of goes over their head. And, and, and I guess that's one of the things that we need to try to convey a little bit more uh, on top of the whole thing, whether you get an inch or a foot, you're going to be inconvenienced by this storm. So uh, it's, it's, and, and you're right. The, it's, it's extremely difficult because there's always that little thing in the back of your mind. Should I have put eight to 12 inches of snow from Chatham County up across Durham County? But then again, if it doesn't, if it doesn't do that, then you're going to get fried by social media. And it, so it's, it's, it's really tricky. It, it, it really is. It's, it's kind of a hard road to hoe these days. Gary, you know, all you got to do is, is <laughs> you know, I, I do it all the time. I, I always pick a Gary up there and say, here, go ahead and get your grocery cart out. Tell everybody you're doing it. You can be James Spann and call your, your stock traders and let them know. I mean, I um, love that. Man. I, I want to shop <laughs> around in the snow I, I think that'd be fantastic <laughs> you could load up on all you could you could hit all the stores early get all the bread and milk out of every one of them so. well the irony being is we were actually out of bread milk and eggs and on tuesday i had to go to the grocery store before i went to work to get milk bread and eggs <laughs> I, I was with my cap on and i was hiding my face because i didn't want to see anybody to recognize me yep yeah once i saw national weather service they said we've we've dropped our snowboard and I said, okay, uh, they had, I don't think they'd issued the, the winter storm advisory yet, but I said, all right, let's go ahead and get <laughs> the store now before it gets crazy tomorrow. And so, uh, you know, that's a good thing about beating meteorology is that you're a little bit ahead of the curve on some of these things. So before you go tell everybody to go, uh, and we try not to do that too much, but you, you kind of have the advantage. You can go in there early and get, get done what you need to, but uh, yeah. there are a lot of folks here that pay attention to it. And, um, 
I got to, I got to say it's, it's a lot of fun here along the coast doing forecasting because folks are, are generally pretty laid back about it. They're, they're not, they get a little bit freaked out about hurricanes, but winter weather, people get more excited and they're a little bit more positive about it than a hurricane. Hurricane outlook is doom and gloom, man. Snow is like, yay, what's happened, you know? And I've said it before on the show, and I'll say it again. We need people to understand the margin of error is greater than an inch. You know, I grew up in New York. You know, your 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 range on the forecast would be flurries, one to three, three to six, six to, you know, eight, eight plus. Like, no one was, I only got six inches of snow, and you said there was going to be seven. <laughs> and, and Thank you. I did great. And that's the doesn't Brad have a map that's like zero to one hundred inches, just like covering the Carolinas? It's like this is the winter forecast. And, and, Brad's put out a couple maps like that before, I think. And, and that's the thing is, you know, for folks, especially here in the Carolinas, anything over an inch or two, it, it's the same impacts. Am I not right, Gary? I mean, one to two inches pretty much shuts down the state unless you live in Boone or Asheville. Well, I mean, that's just it. I mean, when when anybody who lived through that January, oh God, I want to say it was 05 event where where Raleigh was paralyzed by an eighth of an inch of snow. You know, anytime we put snow in the forecast after that, everybody freaks out because people will go on what they've lived through. And I think people's biggest fear, too, is, is they're going to be stuck at home more than two days without bread, milk and eggs, which is kind of funny. But, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing. I mean, people, I think people do tend to err on the side of caution, but they go overboard when they err on the side of caution. But you're absolutely right. North Carolina is, and, and South Carolina too. I mean, mm-hmm. Charleston Airport had to wait for the snow to melt because they don't have any snow removal equipment. But it's like Shay said earlier before we went on air, you know, it's like, you know, Charleston averages what that much snow per year, Shay? That's about it. So you know, three, three, and some years none at all. So we were, you know, we're we're used to beach chairs down here. We don't have to we don't have to deal with that. And so I, we know we have to increase our average to at least an inch a year just to justify a budget for something like that. I'm sure. I'm sure there's some. But, I'm but sure there's some formula out there operating for five days. That's what I want to know. Well, like how I mean, money was lost. I mean, look look at the Ravenel Bridge, prime example of of engineering that passed up on. Heating coils and mechanisms to keep the the um, you know ten foot icicles from falling on the cars below, which is what happened a few years back, and you know busting through people's windshields, and uh, so now they they didn't even shut the bridges down this year. There was there was so much there's so quick of a changeover mm-hmm. to snow without too much of an accumulation of ice this year that they didn't close any of the bridges down. I was really amazed that they did not do that. Some people braved it, but hey, you know we we survived it. We do it without closing bridges too. We yeah, we had, a tenth of, we had a tenth of an inch of ice two weeks before and it closed the bridges down. So I was super impressed. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up this discussion. It's uh, about 9.15 and uh, I knew we got to uh, get Gary back to work. So uh, I'm sure uh, we'll probably, if, if the models are any true, we're going to be talking about another cold start in February and who knows what uh, that'll bring. So we may be doing this discussion all over again sometime soon. So uh, let's uh, go around and uh, Jonathan, I'll let you, if you want to share your uh, social media, maybe your Twitter page or how, uh, however folks can follow you for a weather forecast. Okay. My uh, Twitter is um, underscore J wall, J W A L L. Um, You can follow me there. Um, I want to say one quick thing to Gary. Um, Thankfully, I'm not in your position. Uh, I don't have to, I'll have thousands, millions of people looking at my forecast. I can just put whatever I want out there and not, not, um, not freak anybody out or anything like that or 
So I do understand, you know, coming from amateur forecasters and people who aren't meteorologists on TV all day, um, we do understand why you do the six to eight plus thing. So, I, you know, I want to let you know that um, we do understand that. And I try not to bash, you know, professionals and I, I try to calm people down who do. So, but um, I just wanted to put that out there and, and say, we get why y'all do what y'all do and y'all do a good job. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. And Gary, I'll let um, you tell our followers how they can get a hold of you. All right. Um, while Jonathan was talking, I actually went over and saw my Twitter feed so I could actually, <laughs> I can't remember that thing to save my life, but you think G Stevenson underscore WX would be uh, good to, you know, easy to remember, but I'm, I'm getting old. So anyway, so on Twitter, G Stevenson with a PH underscore WX for weather. And uh, on Facebook, uh, Chief Meteorologist uh, Gary Stevenson. And, and, and Jonathan, I want to say again, I, I, I was impressed by that forecast. Like I said, you screwed up the Outer Banks, but hey, man, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll give you that one. Okay, bud? <laughs> All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Sure thing. All right, guys. Well, um, I'll ask the panelists right quick. Uh, do you all want to do Tweets of the Week before we end? Or I have two. All right. Well, all right, well, we're going to do Tweets of the Week. Gary and uh, Jonathan, if you guys want to participate, basically what we do is scroll through Twitter and uh, pick out something that we thought's interesting. And if you don't want to, that's quite okay because I forgot to tell you that's what we do after the show. So, anyways, I'll let uh, – James, I'll let you go ahead and go first since you've got yours pulled up. Yep, and I will uh, let our guests know that uh, by tweet, uh, clearly Facebook's allowed because both of mine come to Facebook. Uh, so this first one was video. You probably saw it. It was shared pretty widely online and on television of a bus sliding on ice in Boston, a bus full of students. Uh, you know, I had somebody comment on this on Facebook with, well, why did they go to school that day? And certainly just a little bit of ice can be pretty uh, catastrophic. Uh, but, you know, I was looking at the amount of snow that's on the ground here, and I don't know what it's like in Boston. But like I just said, living in New York, the standards are different. And I can imagine they're similar in uh, in Boston. And that wouldn't be enough, at least not enough snow <laughs> to close school. Clearly, they should have reconsidered the ice. Uh, why I've got you, speaking of ice, uh, we've had this problem in all portions of the Northeast. Those uh, ice, um, giant chunks of ice clogging up streamways. This is a canal. Uh, and as it did it uh, downstream, the ice blocked it, sent a wave going upstream. That's how powerful this was once that ice got log jammed in there. And you can see all of a sudden that water flow just stopped, but it created quite the ripple. And it was uh, quite impressive that the local fire department happened just to be standing there and catch it on camera. Scotty? Yeah, that's an, what did you call it? An ice tsunami? Is that what we, what it was? Uh, I guess like? you could call it that. I don't think I did, <laughs> but you know, that, that is kind of what's going on here. It, it wasn't you, but I did see somebody else share that tweet, and they called it an ice tsunami. So, uh, well, I'm going to do mine because I, I mine is like themed with the Northeast as well. So, uh, while we're talking about Northeast weather, I'll, I'm going to do mine right quick. Uh, this is from our friends at NOAA Satellites. This is actually showing hole punch clouds going over New York City uh, from uh, seen from goes east. So, uh, I think this was January 23rd or something, maybe yesterday. Yeah, January 23rd. So uh, if you can notice, um, there they go. There goes one hole punch. There goes another one right Scott, over the city. Scotty, we don't have your picture yet. <laughs> not seeing anything, my friend. Well, why didn't you tell me? We did. Scotty put his face <laughs> through the hole punch. And then, yeah. Oh. Well, now it's <laughs> well, going crazy. That definitely looks like a hole punch. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Let's try this again. 
Can you can you guys see it? No, you can't. Nope. I don't know what's going on. Never mind. Uh, you don't get to see mine this week, then. We'll, uh, we'll let somebody else go, and I'll see if I can figure out what's going on. All right. Uh, Ashley, do you have one? You want to go, or do you want me to go ahead? You can go ahead. Okay. So here is one. This is uh, Metro Detroit. Uh, this is a, a terrible accident, and uh, this could have been potentially fatal. But I, I, I wanted to show this because it's very important for folks to, to really slow down during wintry events. And you can see the officer trying to help here. I think there's a tow truck driver and officers in his car trying to, you know, keep that lane safe. But here comes somebody barreling through. Give it just a second. Jeez. So just a, an, another reason to, to always make sure to slow down during uh, wintry events, especially where you have entrance ramps to interstates and whatnot. I mean, even if you're used to driving in these areas, uh, you know, there's no reason to be going that fast. And also give your law enforcement an extra lane. Don't, don't travel in the same lane when they're handling something. It's always courtesy. It's always good. It's even law in most states to move over and, and not be in that lane at all. So that, that was potentially fatal. Uh, but I think everybody was okay. It's just a bad accident. So um, anyways, that was my tweet of the week. I thought I'd reiterate that for, for folks in the Southeast when we get wintry weather and you're out driving around. Uh, I think even in Charleston, when I was watching webcam on the Revenant Bridge, I watched about four or five wrecks happen when it started icing up and it was like bumper cars out there. But they were just, people just kept going. They didn't want to stop and be a part of another wreck coming. So uh, be, be careful out there if you're driving around in this stuff. Very dangerous. Well, and, and Shade, uh, while you're on the topic, yeah, there were about 5,000 accidents last week in North Carolina that were weather-related, and the governor reported that most of those, the people actually admitted they had no reason to be out on the highway. And, you know, that's that's something I, I think about a lot um, because uh, my wife being a pharmacist, she's got to go to work. I'm a meteorologist. I've got to go to work. So we've got a reason we've got to be out there. So the thing is, if you don't have a reason, you're putting your own life in danger, but here's the problem too. You're putting others in danger when you go out there and you don't need to. And if you get in trouble, just like that, you're, you're putting the emergency uh, uh, crews in trouble, uh, the tow truck operators in trouble. So, you know, best thing is stay home, enjoy the scene, watch the birds, drink hot coffee or hot chocolate, and just enjoy the snow. Because you know what, guys, when I retire, that's what I'm going to do when it snows. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that's, um, yeah, you know, if, if that, that's exactly right. You just don't, don't plan on going anywhere. I mean, there are, there's a shift, B shift, hospital workers, you name it. There's, there's a number of people that, that should be on the roads, but there, there were a lot of people just scrambling to go around and drive around in it too, you know, just to see it. All right. Can you guys see mine now? Yes. We sure All can. right. Let's try this again. So this is from our friends at NOAA Satellites. This is uh, over New York City yesterday. Uh, the goes east picking up on some hole punch clouds. So I'm going to slowly scroll through here. And uh, right here is one of them. And then we're going to have another one develop right behind it. But this was the hole punch clouds that developed over New York City yesterday seen from goes east. So I thought that was really cool. Um, really cool to see. We see those occasionally here in the Carolinas. But... Uh, really cool thing to see from Goes East over the New York City area. And Goes S it goes up in March. Right? Yes, March, March yes. March. And we're talking about it the uh, last Wednesday of uh, February. We're gonna have some. Those whole bunch of calls went right over my parents' house. Yep. Just watching there with you. Yep. Super stoked, man. So here, here it is, right here. It's uh, 
It is the, uh, the new Ghost S, the second satellite in the series going up. Uh, and then Ghost T will be next. We don't know, have a launch date for that. This is March 1st, 2018. And that is the scheduled date for this one. Uh, I think this was going to be what, is this going to be a Ghost West allocated satellite? We're pretty sure. Mm -hmm. yep. well, probably, yeah. Yep. I want them both. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we got yeah. each that right. And then, and then we have all of the other satellites kicking in this year. I think we're going to have some really interesting coverage this this coming season for the tropical season, especially with the Cygnus Constellate satellite. satellite. Um, you know, th those are going to be coming in a more better perspective. And I don't know, exciting year ahead. But, Scotty, I don't want to keep up. I know we're out of time here. <laughs> all right, let's go to Jared real quick. I see he's got his pulled up. Jared? Yep. So, um, as uh, if you've been following the news, you know that we have uh, just recently uh, come out of a government shutdown. Um, this comes from Bryce Williams out of Knoxville, Tennessee. And, um, but, you know, when government shuts down, you know, essential operations continue to run, such as the uh, National Weather Service forecasting for, you know, because they're, they're, their job is to protect, you know, life and property and and we certainly appreciate that because they're they're working on promise of pay. You know, it's up to you know everybody in Congress to make sure that they get paid. Um, so we really appreciate our National Weather Service friends and and everybody in the in those communities. You know, uh, looking out for us when they don't know. You know, when things are going to open up. But um, you know that that stuff aside. You know, you know when there's a government shutdown it means that the funds have dried up for that fiscal year. And sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to get the mission done. <laughs> And uh, so there you go, you know, and uh, this probably burst at about 800 millibars. So I think it got on the naughty list from the SDM. But um, but there you go. Bryce Williams, you know, he uh, so this got featured on the NWS Podunk um, Twitter page. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so Bryce, maybe uh, how I found it by our, our good friends at uh, KPOD. And um, they uh, they are considering him for a meteorologist in charge. So uh, there you go. Very cool. All right, Ashley, do you have one? I don't have a specific tweet, but I want to do a shout out kind of version thing. So I want to give a shout out to a lot of the response of the tsunami uh, warnings and watches that went out um, earlier yesterday morning or the day before that. Uh, I saw some great stuff from Alaska. They did everything they're supposed to. Um, I think some other agencies might have gotten some awakenings. Maybe, you know, they should test their warning systems and consider uh, who they're sending them out to and things like that. But I saw great things. And I think that this event, even though we didn't have a large tsunami, is going to really inspire a lot more tsunami preparedness because I think the West Coast does a great job with earthquake preparedness and they do a little bit of tsunami stuff. But seeing how the public reacted and talked about it, I just don't think that maybe it's a hot topic of preparedness over there as much as it should be. So shout out to all the EMs for getting that all taken care of and doing a good job with that. Shoot, the Oregon Coast National Weather Service, they're all on it, man. They're on top of it because they, they forecast sneaker waves already, so they're on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, well, I promised Gary we, would, uh, we wouldn't be here till 10 o'clock, and we're at 9.30 now. So <laughs> let's go ahead and we'll uh, shut her down for this evening. Uh, next week we have uh, – let me pull it up on my phone here. Matt Moreland from the National Weather Service in San Diego. He was actually the meteorologist in charge at the Key West office uh, during Hurricane Irma. So Matt's going to be joining us next week as we uh, kind of continue our recap in uh, the major hurricanes last year. Uh, so Matt will be joining us next week uh, at 8.15 p.m. And uh, we'll be talking about Hurricane Irma. So uh, just know we are preparing for National uh, Weather Podcast Month. I think I got that right, Shay, correct? 
That's right. That's yeah. right. So uh, we've got uh, dates for those. Actually, just looking at this, we're almost booked through April. So uh, really cool, cool uh, stuff going on here at the Carolina Weather Group. And just follow our Facebook page and Twitter outlet, and uh, we'll keep you up to date on upcoming shows. And like always, if you have any guests that you would like for us to get, uh, all you got to do is reach out to us, and we'll see what we can uh, do to make it happen. So Gary and Jonathan, once again, thank you so much for coming on tonight. We look forward to uh, having both of you guys back on soon. Gary, I know you don't want to be on too soon because that means we're talking about bad weather. But <laughs> but anyways, uh, it was good seeing you guys. And uh, everyone, thank you for watching this week at the Carolina Weather Group. We hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week uh, for uh, recapping Hurricane Irma.